Hey, what's up, my people? Welcome to today's show. This is a special one for me, as unless you've been under a rock or I've been pretending to be impartial somewhere, you'll know I'm a Man City fan. And that support didn't begin when they started winning Premier League titles, but instead it was during the time of today's guest. But before I press play on our conversation, be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And why not rate and review the show on iTunes? And always remember the social media handle is kickback underscore Nadem and we are undefeated on there. And trust me when I say we've got some big plans for the show, so make sure you stay tuned and stay involved. But now anyway, please sit back, continue your drive, enjoy your hike, or do whatever it is that you do whilst you listen to my conversation with the Man City legend and cult hero that is Sean Gota. Hello. Hey, what's up, G? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very, very good, man. Very, very good to be speaking to a legend. Very, very good. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. Well, you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How long will it be, roughly? Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> For you? I got all day, mate. Listen, it's, it's, it won't be forever. But if you yeah. tell your story, then I don't know. It can it can go on for some time. Like it might be 45 minutes, something. But you won't get yeah, bored. You won't get bored. Okay. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. All right, cool. Well, let's let's begin. Okay, yeah. so this is this is Sean Golter, like the Sean Golter. And the thing, there's so many things that blow my mind about you, but, you know, you're such a cult hero for Man City and your time there was absolutely incredible. But your journey to that point is so, so interesting, especially when I did more research about you, yeah? And first of all, to get us rolling, it's amazing how loved you are at Man City when you actually came through at Manchester United. Like, how is that even a thing? How did a boy from Hamilton, Bermuda, end up on the other side of Manchester? Well, yeah, um, this is interesting. Um, yeah, well, Man United actually went on a mid-season break to Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that break, I had played, uh, in Bermuda, we, we call it a double header. Two games at the same location, okay. back, you know, one after the other. So I had played for Bermuda's under 21s. Okay. Uh, played for the under 21s uh, in a game that they were watching, but they were what they were playing the next game against the Bermuda national team. And it was a it was a midseason break for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, um, I was I was sort of scouted and, and offered trials. Um, so Alex Ferguson would have been in, in the crowd, etc. Wow. Um, I said, well, who's that little kid there? Who, <laughs> You know, we offer him some trials. So, from my point of view, it was it was it was brilliant because I was I had a full scholarship in America, mm-hmm. uh, and if I had accepted the trials to Man United, I forfeited the full scholarship. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's how I ended up having trials, and then I was successful. Yeah. So, with that move to um, to United, then, like, is it a normal thing for someone from Bermuda to dream of playing? in the Premier League to dream of playing professionally or were there other sports which were more important? Every kid in Bermuda is dreaming about playing in England. Um, and we, we have a we have a field in Bermuda it's called Bernard's Park. It's actually just a regular park. Mm-hmm. But I used to play all the time with sort of, you know, um, older guys. We used to just have a kick about shirts versus skins. Yeah. And we all used to have this sort of dream of playing. We used to call it our Wembley, basically. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, Football is the, the dominant sport. Everybody, you know, watches the Premier League. Back then, um, you know, before it was called Premier League, 
you know, everyone used to watch it and, and you know, you have the, the different uh, fans that support all the clubs up and down the country mm-hmm. or up and down Bermuda mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, City, United, Liverpool, Tottenham, all, all the teams. But yeah, it was always a dream to sort of play in England and, and, and play at Wembley. Okay, so how was that dream then when you finally went over to be there in Manchester? Because it's fair to say that Hamilton's a bit different to Manchester itself. So how was yeah. that for you in those early days? Mate, it, listen, it was as outrageous, <laughs> mate. Like, Bermuda, right? I don't think people understand. Bermuda is this vacation place. Yeah, right? yeah. Warm, most of the time, all year round. And then I come here and I couldn't, the weather was so cold. I could, I was like, how do they play football in this weather? <laughs> My hands felt like, you know, they were frozen. My feet felt like blocks, blocks of ice. I couldn't feel my feet. I remember playing in some games just thinking, ref, bloody whistle. <laughs> bloody whistle. And this game. So it was, it was tough because I really wanted it, but it was really tough in terms of being able to just get through that. I remember, you know, even after after games, it's sort of like in the shower and I was sort of like spending, every, everyone, the kit was packed away, everybody's on the coach and I'm still in the shower trying to throw out. <laughs> I'm trying to throw out. And that took me a while. So now I'm, 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 acclimat- I'm acclimatizing and used to the weather. But yeah, it was, it was really grueling early days. Did that really affect your game then or was that more so just something afterwards? No, it, it, it did affect my game from... Because, well, when I say fact my game, Bermuda was, was typically dry. So yeah. the dry element in terms of, you know, when the pitches are dry, you could throw the ball, you know, differently than when it's wet. Mm-hmm. Um, we really know when it's wet, then your touch is on. Yeah. Uh, so, and hence, for myself personally, even when I, you know, all the years I pretty much played, I got off the blocks running because the pitches were dry. Yeah. So I was used to dry pitches. So you look back over my career, in the first three, four months, I was always on the block scoring goals yeah. because I was used to the dry element of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, over time, I got, I got used to, you know, the pitches being wet, the coldness, slide tackles. <laughs> you know, I was depressed. I, I, it took me a while to even do a slide tackle. I was like, <laughs> cold, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I was a bit of a wimp. I was a bit of a wimp, but I, I got toughened up. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think that's the thing about coming to England. When you're in England, you sort of take it for granted that people are coming from somewhere where things are a bit different because you, yeah. you're here and it's like, this is what it is. If you're not doing it, like, why are you not doing it? Well, maybe you're not doing it because you've never had to before. But yeah. anyway, so how long did you actually spend at United then? I was there two years. Two years. Um, yeah, I was in the, the, the academy, essentially. Never, I never played in the first team. So we we used to train against the first team. So now and again, Serge Ferguson would call the team over, you know, the reserve team over, as it was called reserves then. Uh, and he would play 15, 20 minutes of a game in, in somewhat preparation for, you know, for the game they had on, on the set or whatever game they had. Um, so, but it wasn't too much. It, it, it's funny because, again, Coming from a culture where everybody sort of knows everybody, you just see people and you just call them cousin. And yeah. Like, hey, what's up, cousin? Yeah. And so that was my my way. So when I was sort of walking around in the cafeteria, like I remember Mark Hughes was like the big sign and he had come from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, Mark Hughes, Mark Hughes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why everybody's just around here? I'll be like, <laughs> hey, Mark. Hey, I like that tracksuit. I want you to get me one of those tracksuits, mate. I like that tracksuit. So I was just being myself. Yeah. But people were just like, Mark Hughes, you don't say anything. You don't say anything. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't understand it. 
because my you know culture in Bermuda was just like everybody spoke to everybody. Yeah. Um, so I just sort of took that personality, like took, that was me. Yeah, that's 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 really really interesting because around those sorts of times, like the senior players and all this, you know, you couldn't yeah. don't even walk near them, don't say anything to them, and so on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so you spent two years there then, and you ended up leaving and you ended up leaving to go to play for Rotherham, I believe it was. Did yeah. you, firstly, how did you feel when you did actually leave? Did you feel it was the right thing for you? Did you feel like maybe you should have been given more time or was, was the timing right for that? Well, so, well, at the time, the first team was, wasn't doing, doing well at Man United. So every reserve player was thinking, surely you got to give us a chance. Yeah. But his head was only blocked. You know, his head was only blocked. Um, but in terms of moving over to 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 Rotherham, um, I I felt that uh, first of all I, I was like where is Rotherham? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to look it up, and then I was going on the divisions. Right, I was I was like this. The time was called first division. I was going like first division, right? And I was like, no, I know it. I know they're not the first division. I was like second division. It's like they're not there. Third yeah. division. They're not there. Fourth division. I was like, wow. Mm. So that really hit me in the heart. That one was like, whoa, that's right down. Mm. Um, but it was it was a case of either I went there or I went back to Bermuda. Right. So so for me, it was like I gotta go there. Um and Rotherham Rotherham's where I really started to learn and adapt and adjust to to the to the game in, in England in terms of everybody played four four two and yeah. understanding the game. But yeah, it was that was the time when I started to really learn about the game. So that, as you've pointed out there, that's a lot of levels to drop down. And even though you weren't playing for Man United's first team, to drop to the fourth yeah. division is massive. Was there not anything else you could have, anywhere else you could have gone in between those two places or not? Well, no, because players, players at the time, you represent yourself. You, you know, uh, you have yeah. agents and, and my focus was just playing. You know, so I was playing um, reserve games, etc. And then so Alex Ferguson calls me and he goes, listen, you know, you're, you're like my fourth choice. I was between fourth and fifth choice in terms of a striker. You're not going to get in my teams. Um, but there's somebody that's um, prepared to have you. And, and, you know, you can work your way. You can work your way back up. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, sort of hearing it, you're just sort of like taking it. But you, you, you don't say, oh, well, I'll, I'll try this club or I'll yeah. try that club. And and I wasn't aware of perhaps other clubs that may have been, you know, in, uh, in Division Two perhaps or even Third Division that were been, oh, we'll we'll take we'll take Sean. Yeah, uh, I was not aware of it, so that that's what was available. Okay, so anyway, yeah. for you in your time, Rotherham, you played over two hundred games and you scored over seventy goals. And obviously, as you're leaving, you've got all the respect in the world. But I want to know what it was first like when. Rotherham as a club as a team as a whatever they see a Bermudan arriving through their doorsteps probably looking like he doesn't know where the Rotherham is and it's now even colder and wetter than where he was before did you have the respect of them at the start or not no no not at all I mean it was you know it was a case of around the first three seasons uh, again was me was me adjusting to the to the weather the culture pace of the game physicality so the first three seasons um the first season I I was only made, I made about 12, 12 appearances as a sub. Uh, scored four goals, so that was just coming on and being fortunate scoring. Second season was eight, and then third season was 12. Mm-hmm. But my fourth, fifth, and sixth season, that's when I scored uh, 24, 25, and 26 goals. Okay. And, and from that point, right the way through my career, every, every year and every club I've been at, I was a top goal scorer. Yeah. Because I got in my head, 
And I knew, I I started to understand the English culture. Yeah. And the culture was, if you're a striker, you got to score goals. Yeah. And, and when I was in Bermuda, I actually essentially was a midfielder. Yeah. In high school, you know, playing for my club school, yeah, my club team, uh, when I was sort of in my teens. So being being a midfielder, I my mind wasn't thinking clinical like a striker. Mm-hmm. But now I'm sort of four or five years into living in England and every time I'm having a conversation, they're saying, Yeah, striker, how many goals you scored? And I'm I'm going off the field thinking, we play, wow, I, I set up a goal. Yeah. I, I set up a goal. And they're they're like, Yeah, striker, you scored no goals, mate. Yeah. You know, you know, good. So that's when I started thinking, you gotta score goals. That's what these people are telling me. You know, that's that's so so interesting, especially in the way you delivered it, because it was like the most subtle flex I think I've ever heard on my show, eighty-three episodes in. From that point, I was the top goal scorer for every team I played for. You're the only person that's been on my show that's even able to say that. That is top. <laughs> that is such a flex, and I'm here for it. I'm so here yes. for it. So you, so you, you play your time through at Rotherham. And then you end up going to Bristol City. At this point, again, are you representing yourself or do you have an agent? Because clearly you're scoring goals now, so you must be in demand. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny how this happened because my um, my, my agent ended up being, he, he, he was a solicitor, he was a lawyer. And we met in Bermuda. We met in Bermuda and we ended up doing this little business thing together where my games weren't able to be shared in Bermuda. Okay. So we used to get the tape the English system is, is called PAL system. The American system is an NTSC, basically to convert. Because when they used to use VHS, certainly mm-hmm. age there. Yeah, when they used to, said least, yeah. But they used, they used to convert it. Yeah. Send it over to Bermuda. So within 48 hours, the Bermudian public could see my games. Wow. And But what was funny about it was, him and I used to do the commentary on it, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to be saying, he, he obviously didn't see Goda's wrong there. <laughs> Great wrong by Goda. Oh, that's tough. Oh, <laughs> so happy with that. We met. That's where we met. Um, and we're, still, we're, we're great friends today. Um, he's a great advisor of mine. He's, he's, he's just a brilliant, uh, brilliant guy. But he then um, came on board in terms of you know, assisting me in terms of when I when I had to go and negotiate. Um, yeah. And, so, and which which league were Bristol City in at that point when you first joined? Bristol City was in, I'm best just referring to it as, but they were League One. They right. were League One. Okay. Yeah. So you went Correct. there. You went there and lo and behold, you finished top scorer again for two years and you've scored 45 goals in 81 games. And in yeah. the 97-98 season, you were in the PFA Team of the Year. How did that feel for you to be recognized like that by your peers in the league, to actually be the chosen one of so many? Yes, that, that, was, that, was, that was really nice because I, I actually achieved it when I was at Rotherham. In, ah, okay. within, I can't remember which, within those three years where I stopped goal score, but again, because this was up another level, Yeah. I was I was now starting to be you know going to the going to the functions and seeing like the top players you know so yeah like, yeah okay uh-huh. this is what it's like I was like okay I want some more of this I want some more of this <laughs> but I, again I was I was absolutely gassed about it I was like like keep doing what you're doing because you know people are recognizing mm-hmm. and, and nothing better than and you know being given that award by your peers you yeah know, your peers voting you um, in the player of the year mm-hmm. that's that's top. And now the moment's come. 
because from Bristol City was signed by Man City. So how did you, oh, even though it's not the Man City for a couple of years during your career who were at the top level, the Man City that's now, because this is a whole yeah. different Man City. Right. How did you feel then when they came in for you? Was it something which made you really excited or like, what was it? Because it sure that must have felt like you were going somewhere really significant. Yes, it did. Um, it did feel as though I was going, I knew it within myself. And it's funny because Man City had got, we had, we eventually got relegated to, yeah. to League One. Yeah. And Bristol City had got promoted to the championship. Oh. So, so even though I went on the deadline, played seven games, scored three goals for City, we done a crossover, Bristol City. So I went back to Bristol and I was supposed to be celebrating with, with my mates because I played pretty much yeah. three quarters of the season. This was the transfer deadline was the last last Thursday of March. Okay. So I, I I was still feeling the pain of being relegated. And I was just like, this this feels crazy. I'm here like, because I'm a part of this, but I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. So I go, I go there and if, obviously the first full season, we, we get promoted. Funny mm. enough, Bristol, Bristol City down. get relegated. <laughs> but I, I knew because, again, Bristol City, we got big crowds. It was a derby against, at the time, Bristol Rovers. We was getting somewhere around between eighteen and 20,000. But, you know, Man City was 28,000, 30,000. Yeah. So I knew. Uh, it's funny because in those five to seven games, my missus said, are you sure you've done the right thing? Like, this this club, this club's rubbish. Like, she's <laughs> watching the games, right? Yeah. She's saying, they're rubbish. Because when you look at a team that's, you know, playing well and because and, Bristol City was, mm-hmm. your football's flowing, you know, you several passes and it's, it's, it's a brilliant goal. So she 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 sort of doubted it for a bit, for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always knew, I said, no, this is the right club. Okay. So I had a realization as I was preparing for this show, yeah. So for me, I joined the academy in 1997, yeah, and you joined in 98. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, 98, yeah. So before 97, like I would watch football, but I wasn't really a fan of anybody as such. I just used to watch football all the way through. But today I sit here as a Manchester City fan, and that time didn't come from what's happened in the last 10 years. It was the stuff that happened within the first five, six years of when I joined the academy. So as I look back and I joined, I started to buy into the club's history because I remember I was a ball boy and um, the guy who was helping us, he'd give us programs from like the early 90s, the late 80s and so on. But then I was also watching the team. I was watching the team at the training ground. And that team was your team. So my love of Man City came from the time when you were the main man for Man City so whereas some younger people have the privilege to say, oh, you know, Sergio Aguero, he's been my guy. Yes. For me, you were my guy because in the academy at that time, I was playing as a striker as well. So that's where <laughs> I put you. You are, yeah. in my eyes, what you did for the club is so important because it defines how I love the club today. And it's crazy to think that like, I could talk about people, I could talk about you in the same way someone will talk about Aguero. But yeah. what Aguero means to City now is what you yes. meant to me back then. And it's, as I say, it's absolutely nuts. And for context, again, I think it's fair to say that for people like myself, you can't level us the fact that you can't say we're glory seekers because let's be very, no. very clear in those times oh. there. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, there was a dark blue days. Oh, very dark blue days. Like I think in your time there, there was only one occasion when you actually spent two consecutive seasons in the same division which yeah. is 
nuts. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. But but anyway, but anyway, but anyway, but anyway, right. So the club itself and the city, after coming from Bristol, how long before it really felt like home to you? I would say when it felt like home was probably at, towards the end of the second season. Okay. Because the probably yeah towards the end of the second season maybe going to the third season and the reason i say that is because the first year and a half people won't know this but all they know is what 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 they sort of hear today or how fans are but the first year and a half i used to get absolutely hammered from the fans um so much that when they used to call out you know number 10 sean goder is to be booed yeah from home fans so Fans probably don't remember it, but as players, yeah, you, you always remember, remember it. it. Yeah, you can't forget you that. Remember. Yeah, and so that was so to to come that to go through that journey of winning the fans over. I think it was probably middle of the second season when this is when they started to sing a song, you know. But in my mind, I used to sort of have this saying: "There's no cheers, there's no booze," because I, I had I had to be ruthless because. It was it was it was a dark time in terms of, of me trying to win the fans over or them believing in me. Yeah. And so I had to have this mindset like I I gotta go there and you know, we're often sort of you know, some sometimes managers say, Listen, it's only about the players in this dressing room. It's not even about the fans because the fans are, are negative. You have to have that that bubble. Yeah. And and so my mindset was like in that bubble for a period, it was like all right, you, you don't hear no chairs, you don't hear no booze. So when the chairs started coming, mm. I even remember when they was when when they started singing "Feed the Goat," I thought it was for Vivian Foe. Ah, feed the foe. Because yeah. I went in the dressing room and I was like, "Hey, Foe, that song's hot. That song that's singing about you is hot." <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "I'm loving it." And the guys were like, "No, no, that song's about you." Wow. So I wasn't even sort of grasping the song. I was hearing a little bit of it, but I was I was in the game. I was in the zone, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm having it. I'm having that one." Yeah, for sure, for but, sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any, anytime anybody's singing your name, like you can't forget that. That's that's special. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned sort of not being loved from the get go there because that second year for you, when City were essentially in what is League One now, you know they were still getting, as I say, twenty eight to thirty thousand fans at yeah. Main Road. Did you, I was going to ask if that made things easy for you to be successful in that division, but it seems like maybe it didn't because surely then you were playing under a lot of pressure because that is essentially the darkest time in the club's recent history. Like, was it, do you think it was a benefit? Because we always, we look back now with, you know, special vision and blue, you know, blue tinted glasses, like to have that type of crowd. But was it actually a tough place to play at that moment for you? It was, it was tough because we we were Man City coming to town and it was like, Every every game we played was an absolute sellout away. Yeah. So with that, so they they were when they like City's coming to town. City may remember me as a player because if I play well against City, the manager may go, "Hey, he's a player that we can that we can bring in." Mm-hmm. So I I think we all sort of had this this illusion that it will be not not easy, but yeah. we'll be able to sort of cruise. But the first three four months. Not four, but probably definitely the first three months. It was difficult. It was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were playing games, losing losing games, winning the odd one. 
but we didn't have no real rhythm. I mean, we were, you know, lose two, win one, draw two, mm. lose one, win two. Mm. And it was just really no consistency. Uh, it wasn't up until, I would say, probably going up to November when we then started to put together a, a run of games. Not, not like the team today, but a run of games of sort of, you know, going undefeated for probably eight games. And that will consist of maybe, you know, four wins, four draws or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we started to really kick on. But yeah, it was it was tough to play, you know, because we were expecting. We were the big boys in the league that expected to, not only, we weren't expecting to win one nil. Like, you, you're supposed to go in three nil and you just know, yeah. you know, as a player, yeah. former player, it don't happen that nah, way. No, never does. It never does. Yeah. And it's so interesting, again, because that, point in history for the club gaining promotion was everything but for a club that size to only just about go up and via the playoffs is not the type of stress that you need in your life to be able to enjoy football to say the very very least and you know the the playoff final in 99 is it's obviously a hugely important day for the club and I'll tell you my side of that so I did go to Wembley that day but when it was 2-0 in the 88th minute I left the stadium with my mom and then just as we were walking down through the concourse, there was a cheer and there was like a split. There were people like me who kept going, but there were some yeah. people who ran back into the stadium. So I missed the first and the second goal, but I was listening to the game on my radio Walkman while sitting in McDonald's having a Big Mac. And it ended, yes. up, being a, it ended up being a really, really good day. Oh, it tasted so, <laughs> oh, good. So, good. so, so good. So, uh, yeah. That- Cool. Sorry. No, no, after you go. That, that, yeah, that, that game was, you know, that game taught me a lot, not only about football, but about life, you know, because you when you think you're down and out, you know, an 88th minute, uh, we're tuning all down and we, we go and we pull one back and then we get the injury board go up. And at that time, you, you're still, because I, I, you know, people don't remember, but I like to remind people, I, I actually passed to Paul, even though I was genetically <laughs> passed to Paul. <laughs> but, so that game was just bizarre because I'm just like, 80, 88 minutes, again, we score one, injury time, injury ball goes up, and then it's like, we, this crowd, the crowd give this roar. And it just give us this belief yeah. that somehow we can we can get this ball in the back of the net, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so when we score that second, and at that point, uh, we take it into extra time. If you had asked me, I would have put everything that I, that I own, done that we would have won in yeah. extra time because yeah. they were down and out. Like they were, you see players down on the floor. Yeah. They were absolutely wounded. And I thought, you're tired, yeah. but you've got enough to finish these guys off yeah. in the extra time. And so that, to, to be fair, they done well to get through that extra time mm-hmm. and take it to penalties because that is enough to deflate you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we done well to pull it back to two all. But so that showed me in life that, you, you know, and, and it's a city saying, isn't it? We fight to the end. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. And they've done that a couple more times since that point as well. We yeah. don't need to reference those. But so the next season, anyway, you, you're back in what is the championship now and you finish top scorer for the club and you gain promotion to the Premier League. How can a side to go from being relegated from the championship to come up from League One to then go up to the Premier League like that? Like what? What was so much better that second time around in the championship for you guys? I think the the, the understanding that, you know, it, it's obviously the departments, you know, 
good goalkeeper, defense, midfield, and forwards. And everyone sort of knowing and understanding the rule um, and not me not going into other lanes and trying mm. to do things that, that isn't me. It's like, this is my lane. This is what I do. Take care of your job and do that. And I think the, the team camaraderie was, you know, again, it was still a little bit, bit a little bit old-fashioned because the, the guys used to go out now and again. And so that built, you know, even somebody that doesn't drink, mm-hmm. going out and just being a part of the labs and yeah. the fans brings you, brings you that much tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the camaraderie we had to, to fight for one another. Um, and truth be told, we were, we were quality players of that level. Yeah. So we were just now living up to it. We were now just living up to it and understanding and, and dealing and cope with the, the, the expectation. One of the things that I, um, I always thought that it was something I could say to, to the city fans. I remember sort of when I was, as I was playing and, and finishing, it was like, always keep that expectation on us. Yeah, because that that just kept it just kept us where we couldn't take our foot off the gas. Or yeah, the yeah, yeah. And and I learned it from my first year and a half that I never got comfortable, e- even when in that season, championship season, when I scored thirty two goals, even after that season where you could think that somebody could get comfortable, mm-hmm. I I thought to myself, deliver again next season because those boots can come back. Yeah, can they? Yeah. Those used to come back, so you know that's something that I, I fans fans are fans. So I always felt that as long as, and you know, fans will always have expectations of the club. But I always felt that that's something that drove me, mm-hmm. like that expectation and that pressure, and then feeling those boots. I don't want those anymore. So it drove me to be like next season. I go again. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. But that next season, though, what's interesting is you're going into the into your first season at the highest level. So after being in United's Academy, you're back now at the age of 30, heading to the Premier League. And you said something yeah. just a second ago, which I thought was quite revealing, because you said you guys were good players at that level. So did you not have any doubts then going up to a whole new level, which you hadn't experienced before? Or were you confident that you could have that have a big impact again? I, I personally... I believe that a goal scorer is a goal scorer. Mm. And, you know, and there's, some people may think this is, this is foolish, but if you're, if you're a goal scorer and you score, you know, 25, 30 goals and you're in League Two, you understand how to score goals. Yeah. And I'm not saying over one season, but if you're, you do that two or three seasons, you're, you're scoring every different type of goal. So yeah. if you end up in the Premier League, that player will score goals because they understand you know, where to be, what 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 to do when it comes to situations of purpose, one-on-one, you know, looking at the, the goalkeeper's body positioning, the angle that you're at, whether you use the outside of your foot, you know, inside of your foot, if the ball's bouncing, do you love him? If the ball's rolling, do you chip him? Mm-hmm. You, 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 all of those equations, you figure out time and time again. So for me, a goal scorer, you know, at, at League One, if he's doing it consistently two or three seasons, for me, I believe that player can. Mm-hmm. But what happens is players get from, say, League One into the Prem and the manager doesn't have the same belief as that player yes. when he's in League One. Yes. And that's the difference yeah. because you respond off the, off the belief of the manager. Of the manager. And that, I'm glad you've said that because that year, as you, that summer, as you're heading up to the Premier League, it's the same time that City invest in Paolo Wanchop yeah. and George Weir. So how did that make you feel considering, I think for the last three seasons, you'd essentially been the top scorer 
Like, did you did you feel slighted or did you think it was something which was justified to try and sort of have a stint at being in that top division? Well, being being a being in a professional environment, I knew there would be some investment in in the in the players or in the in the squad. But yes, it came direct with my competition. And that season, I actually missed the first two and a half months because I had up I um, had a knee operation and I didn't start the first two and a half months. So I'm looking, but I for me, I was see, I was this sort of player that I always wanted to prove. I always wanted to play with the best players. Mm-hmm. So when George Ware came, I was excited mm. because even though people say, "Well, that's your position," I'm looking and saying, "This guy was world player of the year." Yes. I what I want to know is the things that he does and how he sees the games and the runs he makes. Am I making those same runs? Was yeah. I making those same runs? Because then that's a big check for. You know the game, Sean. Yeah. Meaning, if he's coming from the elite level mm-hmm. and making runs and doing certain things, then, and I'm saying, well, hold on, I'm doing those same things. Mm-hmm. That means my intelligence of the game is, is at a level. And what was funny was, because the first two and a half months I didn't play, I was able to observe it. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching him, and he's doing runs, and I'm sitting there thinking, they don't see his runs. And, and, and I'm saying they don't see his runs because... We weren't. We didn't have players of of that level and that yeah, caliber. Yeah, you know our our model, our, our, our way of playing really was. You know, you flick it on, second guy gets onto it, creates a chance, or goes wide and is ahead of goal. Mm. And I remember, I remember balls are wide, and George Ware um, had sort of ran hard four yards, like he ran front post, and then pulled far post. It was actually in a one on one situation, mm-hmm. and and I was thinking, I've done that run, mm-hmm. but. The ball got jammed near post. The defender, the defender sort of cleared it. And I remember thinking, this is interesting because I know I've made that run. And so I was thinking, well, if he's making the same run, but the ball's not, the ball's not being delivered where he is, mm-hmm. then maybe it could be the quality of the players. But I, I didn't want to go there because these were the guys that I came up with. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to think, nah, he's not good enough or he's not good enough. So I just kept thinking, no, you you've got to you've got to do what you've got to do, and 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 still try to get to the next level some way somehow. But watching and observing him showed me that, Sean, you're making the right runs. You're mm-hmm. making these similar type of runs. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of a situation is 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 similar to his. Yeah. So you, I think you scored eleven goals in the league that season, and let's be clear, yeah. to be scoring double figures in the Premier League is a feat not many people yeah. will ever achieve. So how did you, how do you think then you ultimately did in that first season in the Premier League? Do you think you, you did really, you, did, you, did you do as well as you would have hoped? Better, worse? How do you, how do you view it? Well, yes, because my, my ratio, I think it was 26 stars. And I wasn't, I wasn't, it was never, it wasn't like 24 stars. I was in five games, out four games, yeah. in four games. So I had runs, but then I was out. Yeah. And so, you know, when I look at it, it wasn't it wasn't a one and two, but it was considering it's the highest level, it's the Premier League. Um, I was very pleased. And so uh, the other strikers wasn't their ratio of goals wasn't as good as mine. Mm. So 
when I looked at it and broke it down, I went, you're the most prolific goal scorer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. That's one thing. So I had belief in me. Yeah. So I had belief in me because the numbers, the fact, you know, numbers don't lie. 100%. Numbers do not lie. And looking through your stats and stuff, People can try and say about this, that, and whatever, but men lie, women lie, but those Premier League and league ratios of goals to whatever, they are legit. The numbers you've posted for Man City, even though people will say you're not as good as Aguero or whatever, and you'd probably admit to that yourself, your contribution to Man City in terms of effect is the same because the ratios are the same. And your level of goal scoring for the club is as important as somebody that's there today because looking back, you can't look at those numbers and not call it prolific. So that effect that you had in terms of, so you, you scored the 11 goals in the Premier League, but unfortunately City went down. But yeah. then the next year, as you drop down to a level now, which maybe you're more confident in, I think that was the yeah. first time, did you score 30 goals in that season? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm mixing up the seasons, but... Uh, when we went back down, I knew I was confident in 25 goals in the championship. Yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to think in that, that season, but I knew that's what I normally churned out in a championship level. Mm. Uh, and so being wiser and, and knowing, you know, just situations, you know, I could sniff out a girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could sniff out a girl knowing that the defender's going to go there, the ball's somewhere on the byline, the defender has to, he has to go to that place or position in, in and around the six yard and I can just pull out two or three yards and 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 from the defender's point, he's in the right position. Yeah. But he still can't stop me from scoring if that ball gets to me. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if he if he comes and stands in line with me, let's say near the penalty spot and the ball's on the byline, I then just run towards the six yard line to get a tap in. Mm-hmm. So the defender has to take so it's just certain situations. Because I've I've done it a thousand times, I know if you decide to stand on me or come mark me on the penalty spot, I then run towards the six yard. Yeah. And if you stay in the six yard, I just pull out towards mm-hmm. the penalty spot. And so this is where the, the football intelligence comes in. Yeah. Uh, and because I've had that, you know, there's scenarios. Mm-hmm. And, and I know this worked out for me in League Two. This worked out for me in League One. This mm-hmm. worked out for me in Championship. Mm-hmm. So you, you, and then also when you play with better players, yeah, you start because like I said, I'm watching George Way and I'm saying, okay, I see, I see what he's done there. Mm-hmm. I don't quite do that. Mm-hmm. I'm making these little adjustments into my game, and again, it's just making me a more rounded, evolved, better player as well. Yeah. So that was year four then in your run of being the top scorer for the club four years in mm-hmm. a row, and. That was the first time somebody had scored 30 goals in a season since Francis Lee, I think, in 1972. Yeah. So you're like, you're really, you're knocking these stats out. You're hitting the ball out of the park. And I think that was the year when City, um, you finished top of the league, probably got close to 100 points. You were oh, playing... Yeah, 100 goals, I think. We, we, Is that what it was? 100 points, sir. 100 points. And, 100 points, yeah. And was that when you... There was like Bernabe and Berkovic as well, or was it? Yes. So... Yeah. Talk about better players. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. So this was the first time in my career when when Iowan Ali came to the club. This, as the first time as, as a striker, I could go to, you know, finish training on a Friday and not have to worry about thinking about the game as to will I get a chance. Yes. Because as, as a striker, you just want to know you can get a good chance. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in a great team, you may get three or four chances. Yeah. And up until up until Iowa and, and Ellie came, I couldn't tell you where if I would definitely get a chance. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the worst place for a striker. It's like, yeah. will I get a chance? Yeah. And But the responsibility is on you to score a goal. Yeah. But I can say, we're playing so-and-so tomorrow. I will get a chance. Yeah. And when they came, I knew. I, I started watching, you know, how they played. And, and uh, Bernabio relied on me as much as I relied on him. Okay. Because what I relied in, in one or two games that I didn't play, and Anelka was playing, he was waiting for Anelka to make the run. Yeah. And Anelka, because Anelka's got such good ability dribbling, he was just like, just give it to my feet. And yeah. Beat these three guys. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas me, I was like, I could make that killer run. And he delivered the ball and it just left me in the keeper. Mm-hmm. So I started to realize, and that's where I also didn't, because I was experienced and I was older, I didn't panic because I was like, he needs me as much as I need him. Yeah. And so this, again, this comes with knowledge and, and experience and, as opposed to being worried, you know, Anelka and, you know, Fowler or, or whoever, whoever it may be. Mm. Um, for me, it was just like, you know, Ellie, Ellie needs me. Right, I went on a season, sorry, I went on a season four, but Ellie needed me because, again, he needed that guy that could make those killer runs. And yeah. that guy was, he was just phenomenal. For, before games, I used to be like, hey, Ellie, you, you need a cup of tea? What do you need? <laughs> but he was straight. I do I restrict. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And you mentioned you mentioned Anelka there, you mentioned Robbie Fowler. And not so much Fowler, but the year so you scored thirty goals in a championship that year. I think that's the year when you probably scored the most goals in your career in one particular season. You've won the league, you're going up yeah. to the Premier League for the second time. So personally, you're top. This is tier one for you now in terms of how you're playing. Yeah. Again, you're faced with the same dilemma you were faced with two years previous where the club are bringing in strikers, except this time, if money talks, signing two strikers in John Macken and Nic- Nicholas Anelko, who both broke the transfer record for the club at the time. That must yeah. have been harder to take, surely, than what came two years prior, because an investment like that is always going to be seen as one which is designed to be long-term as opposed to one to maybe make do for a year. Yeah, yeah, it was, because, uh, again... I was um, top goal scorer in those seasons, and you think, well, the investments being being made to sort of say, you know, put up or shut up, short, basically. Mm. Um, so it was, it was, it was hurtful, but I, I, I loved it. I loved the challenge. Mm-hmm. I loved the challenge, you know. Um, and I, I, I knew, you know, I just loved the challenge. And so when Joe Mackin came and I watched and observed, you know, what he had to offer, uh, and then I just started thinking. You know what you are, Sean. You, you just be you, mm-hmm. and you know uh, you you'll get your shirt when you've got your time to be on the pitch. You'll get your shirt, um, and so it, it's it's strange because I didn't actually want to leave the club. Yeah, you know. So the whole thing that what happened with or, or say what's happening to Sergio Grow um, for myself, it was I didn't want to leave the club, and the club was saying, Keegan was saying, well, you know, we're, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. And, and and I was basically saying, well, I'll, I'll challenge. But that being said, um, Anelka and I, we really hit it off. So off the field, we were good mates. Mm-hmm. So when we played on the field, it actually showed that we had the best, we were delivering the best outcome in terms of goals. Yeah. And he, he was the one that, that he knew he had the gaffer. Um, he had the gaffer under control. So yeah, 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 and, yeah. But now we had conversations and I guess the gaffer would say, well, who do you like playing with? You know the gaffer. He would say like, "Sure." Yeah. And 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 I enjoy playing with him because 
we got Owen off the field. Mm-hmm. So that just became a little something that was natural. But but Keegan wanted it to be to be him and Father, but they they slightly butted butted heads. I mean, you had two you know world class players, yeah, um, and both were sort of like I'm the daddy, yeah, and and so I used to just sit in the background and say, let all the dust out, <laughs> and then here <laughs> and I come, I'll yeah. come through, you know, <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. In those, I think in those last two years for City, although there would have been lots of like really good memories, one which I remember in particular was the one when you guys beat Man United at Main Road, when yeah. you took the ball from Gary Neville and so on, and like. Yeah. That was a great moment for City because even though, you know, the tides turned much later on in terms of years, that felt very, very significant because for a long time, you know, you didn't have yeah. that moment. But to throw a bit of shade here, not at you. So in this game at the weekend when City played Everton, last game of the season, as they were doing the Sergio Aguero tribute on the screen and playing messages and all this, I was in the stands near the media bit and Gary Neville was maybe 20 yards to the side of me, yeah? waiting to get on the field, but he didn't have the right accreditation. Yes. Throughout the whole time of the tribute to Sergio, he never really looked up, never clapped, never did anything. And I thought to myself, this man here, like, I know you're a red. Yes. This is, this is one of the greats of the Premier League. League, You yes. can get rid of the City element. This is one of the greats of the Premier League. Yeah, Clap him. You, you just have to. Exactly. Hard. And just congratulate him. Which is why, which is why it's little like he does his thing on TV and whatever, but it's little yeah. things like that, which always take me back to the time when he was playing for United and I used to hate that man. I used to yeah. hate that man. So when you gave that moment back then, it's something that I'll yeah. never forget because it happened to him and it happened to Manchester United. But um, anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, what I've come to know, and you will know there's people, you know, players um, live up to the names. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw that through I saw that through one of you know teammates was was Danny Tieto. Danny Tieto off the field was just just a normal guy and you know even in, in training. But I think he sort of switched on and realized the crowd loved him being being aggressive yeah. and nasty. And so the more he was aggressive and nasty, he realized if the, the fans loved it. Mm-hmm. So he grew into that. And so so much there was there was a game that he got sent off. Uh, you probably may recall it that he ran off and Keegan sort of put his hand out and he sort of kicked the, the bottles yeah. and everything. And and my mom was thinking, well, you've left us because it, it was it was Arrow and his fault. Yeah. You know, you left us to deal with this mess. But that that there was because the fans yeah. loved him. Yeah. So he could do that. You know, he could do that. Sort of kick the bottles and sort of like give this. The ref was wrong or what have you, but my mind is thinking as a team and thinking you've left us now to to, to deal with it. In the end, we ended up uh, winning the game, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. We ended up winning the game, so you know we we, we pulled him out, sort of thing. But the crowd loved him, mm-hmm. and and so they cheered him off. But as teammates, I was sort of thinking, no, mate, yeah. they left us here. Yeah. They left us here. Yeah, I've yeah. Seen, I've but seen he seen. lived up. My point is, he lived up to that, and he he became that character. So. What you're saying in regards to, we know that Gary Neville is a, is a, is a great pundit, but he also lives up to Hayden yeah, City. Yeah. And so that's why he would be, I'm not going to clap. I'll but, be on my phone. I'll do something else. So it's living up. But it's kind of life experience. But I just thought this man's in his 40s. Like, just have a minute. Just clap. Like, well, it's, exactly, like, exactly. like it's his last home game. Just, just you're, not having a, you're not wearing a Man City shirt. Just clap. No. This is what it is. Clap. But um, 
Anyway, to talk about people playing up to reputation and people being successful and so on, it's very fair to say that you were successful at Man City, given the fact you came in the season when they were relegated, there was the up, there was the down, but then you left the club after scoring, I think it's 103 goals in 212 yeah. games. Like, I'd, if there was a round of applause button on my machine, I would be playing it right now because those are because <laughs> those are those are serious numbers. There've not been many yeah. strikers at City at whatever level in my lifetime who've been able to reach those numbers, both in terms of games played, but to have that ratio for goals scored. So you were a joy to support, and like I said, you're a big reason why I support City today. And it's a shame that you left. And and actually, no, I want to know how did it actually come about that that you left? Why why did that happen? Well. When I didn't, I didn't want to leave. Yeah, and it's funny because the last, the last game we had at Main Road, the club presented me with this this crystal ball, and mm. I'm I'm sitting thinking, well, what's this about? Mm. And and because of everything that's going on, it's the last game. You you know, you're you're thinking, walk around the pitch, you know, to the fans and and, and greet the fans and where the fans thank them. But I was I was presented with a with a crystal ball, and I was like. You accept it because that the one you might say, you know, we want to thank Sean. And yeah. Then, so I'm just stood there like, what's all this about? And it's then in the in the in the uh in the preseason, Keegan saying, you know, we're done a deal with uh Redding and you know, we want you to to go and talk to them. I said, Well, I, I don't want to go. So mm. you know, so I really I weren't even like, well, I'll go talk to them. So long story short, I actually went preseason with City. We went over to Traffic we went, and it was Denmark. Where we were supposed to play teams like Ajax, mm-hmm. and you know some some really good. You know we're, we're moving up a level yeah. in terms of the caliber of teams we're playing preseason. And I just thought oh, I'd love to because again, you know I'm this this little kid comes from Bermuda, so to now play against some top European teams, whether it's a preseason or not, is a big thing in my head. You know, and we had about five games. And I didn't play not one minute wow. in five games. Wow. But he just said, you won't play any games for me. Um, you won't play any games. And But I, I knew if I was going to go to do preseason at City. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I was 33 now. So I wasn't going to go to a new club. Everybody's watching you. You're doing sprints next to these, these 18-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, no, no. Do my preseason at City. And, and if I do go, then... I'm fit and ready to go. So yeah, I ended up leaving late, um, late for that season. So that so you never played at the new stadium? No, okay. uh, I actually went and watched City play Barcelona. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't um, play it yet here. So it, yeah, so it, it maneuvered and, and, and went that way. But um, so you know, since that that last game, just always been a fan because of. The journey I had with the fans, yeah, yeah, of, of winning the fans over, um, and just the journey I've had at the club, yeah, um, yeah. And that last game, uh, um, main road was against Southampton, wasn't it? Yes. When like I think the Doves were playing after the game on the field, the band, and people were ripping up chairs because I remember being there for like it was like a really, really special, iconic game. Yes, I've I've got friends, mate. I've got friends that actually got the, the toilet seats of the, of the dressing room, and I was like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> so their the statement is, "You know what, butts have been on these seats." Oh man, don't get so me started on they're that. A true fan. I was like, "Yeah, yeah. that's the next level of being a fan." <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, that's wild. Yeah, I, I was captain. Yeah, I was captain for that game. It was an emotional day, emotional game, um, and. 
I remember the emotions uh, be, be, because, you know, um, knowing potentially could be my last game, mm-hmm. uh, but also wanting to win just because we was always often hearing like typical city. And I just like, yeah, I was so hoping that we could have won that game. But we were Was t- it 2-0? No? Was it 2-0 no to them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and, and Keegan brought me off about 60 minutes. Um, and so that, that didn't surprise me mm-hmm. because the relationship, you know, yeah. um, was sort of gone. Yeah. But I never, you know, the crowd never knew this. I never voiced any sort of unhappiness. I just was a, was a you know, dedicated pro. Yeah. So you finished your time at City and then you proceeded to then play for Reading, Coventry and Southend in England before heading back to play in Bermuda. And after you retired, it says that you went to study to get your coaching badges. I think this was back yes. in 2005, maybe 2006. Yes. So why is it then that you didn't get your first proper coaching job until 2017? Well, the truth, the truth of the matter is the opportunities and the, the opportunity that did come you know, was was at Ilkeston, and it was it was an interesting project. Mm-hmm. It was typically eighteen to twenty year olds, so they were all players who were staying at home with the parents, um, and they were sort of they were like it was like semi pro. They okay. they had jobs, but they they trained in the morning. So from my point of view as a coach, it felt like a professional fit because every morning. Had to go deliver session. Yeah, you know, deliver sessions, preparation for for game on on the weekend. Um, but it's funny. I went I went there in February. Uh, obviously, it was only two and a half months. But the time that I was there, he weren't paid anyone. So, right. Okay. So players weren't getting paid. Um, the, he weren't paying bills. They. I, I walked in one day, you know, early to prep for sessions and stuff. Well, you know, and there's a bailiff there. <laughs> I was like, I said, you look like someone official. Okay. And it, yeah. So I just went, right. I'll make sure my boots stay in my car. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. So it was that, you know, the, 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 the answer to it is the opportunities just haven't been there. Mm-hmm. Um, but have my UEFA license and you can't do your pro unless you're coaching uh, a professional team to go on to do your pro. Okay. So I'm at that, that rock and hard place until that opportunity comes and I get within within the system, mm-hmm. um, then I could go on to do the pro and and, and go off of there. But um, yeah, that that project was was interesting because again, it felt as though it was professional from the point of you know ten thirty we were on the field training, mm-hmm. and then I was you know even though they went home and, and done different jobs, you know it was it still felt this is this is what it's like. And so I had a little bit of a taste, but it was just upsetting that you know, it was the wrong club. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let me ask you a very, very direct question then. So why do you actually even want to be a manager? Well, I I, I just feel, well, here's, here's the thing. I just feel I have a knowledge about the game. Yeah. And I was, I was coaching, I was coaching in Bermuda before, because I went back to Bermuda for a period, six years, seven years, I went back to Bermuda. And the last three, four years I was I was coaching. Started out helping my oil club. And I was I was just I've always been a student of the game as a player and then then pursuing coaching. And what I was doing, I'm going back now about seven years. Seven uh seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. My goalkeeper, I used to have him be in 
when I used to warm up the, the team for a game, I used to have my goalkeeper be the neutral player when I used to do possession, mm-hmm. warming up. So I had him work his feet before he went and worked his hands. Yeah. So I was doing this seven years ago. So then Pep Guardiola, and, and this is what I saw because I used to observe Pep Guardiola when he was at Barcelona. So then, you know, I look and, I, and I'm seeing like he's brought that method to, to City. But I was like so on this track. And then I started asking myself, why do I have to wait for Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, all these top managers to go and deliver the next evolution of the game? Mm-hmm. Why can't I deliver it? Yeah. So that's that's where my mind was as as thinking about the game from a tactical point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was seeing things and doing things that I was seeing what Pepe did with Barcelona. And then they were working. But then I thought, well, why why can't I think yourself? So I started thinking of the game in deep ways and just, you know, started watching other sports to sort of like think, how can I introduce that into football that could be different, mm-hmm. that can make that can evolve the game. Um so that hunger and thirst is been there. But never had the the capacity to be in the game consistent enough to go. I could implement that. Oh, yeah. I could I could do that, and I could you know I could try that. Um, but I know when I sit, you know, when I sit and I watch City because I see him, and, and as we see him so often, I I I could see the understanding of what Pep does. Yeah. Um, and that's because I love that. I'm I'm thirsty for that type of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thirsty for that type of knowledge. So I like to talk about the game in a tactical way. Um because that's what excites me. Yeah. You know? But you um, but you not think that's the problem though. So for somebody that's trying to enter into management, the way that you probably think about the game is one which goes against what most clubs are hiring because even though managers will be sacked, the people they bring in, it's almost low key a status quo type thing. You know, we they want they want a manager who's got ten years experience of yeah. keeping a team My, in the league and all that, yeah. as opposed to and new that, ideas. Yeah, some of the other things is you need to know the players in this league. So you know, because for me it used to be okay. Well, let's let's spend a, a bit of time looking at players or looking at teams in League One, and you have to know you have to know the league is what they say, or you have to know players within the league. But then my my thought is. I see things that happen in League One, League Two, and in the Championship, and I just go, "These teams are doing some of the stuff I used to do when I was at Rotherham." Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I'm like, they don't, they don't know the knowledge I know. Yeah. And so I can, I don't have this horn where I can make them sit up, pay attention. But what I do know is, from when I watch the teams play, I go, I can't watch them play because they're doing a lot of the things that teams used to do. 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's why I, I sit and I think, well, okay, it, it, it's, not, it's not interesting to sort of watch a team and you think they're not, they're not even trying to do something yeah. that you think can be an advantage or some, of some sort. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, I hope somewhere down the line, the opportunity does come and you get the chance to test yourself, whether it's as a coach and as somebody else or as a manager yourself. Because, you know, we can all, we all have, well, not we all have, but some people have really good ideas, but the skill in itself is being able to implement them and, and give it to a team in a way, way which by they will play according to the vision that you have for them. So I hope your opportunity comes and I do hope you have a lot of success with it. But to close, one last question. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. So 
every every guest that's been on, I ask them to give me a five-a-side team of the best players that they've played with. And for emphasis, this isn't an 11-a-side team, so someone that could be really good in 11v11. I want the best five-a-side team that you can pick. That's one goalkeeper and four outfielders. What have you got for me? Okay. I uh, Peter Schmeichel. I play with, uh, towards the end, Peter Schmeichel and David Seaman. Peter Schmeichel was just another level. Um, I would go with... I, I would... Whew, it's, it's, it's interesting because you got people like uh, you got people like Zidane and Sylvan Distan. Hold on here, hold on here. Mm-hmm. Think five sides. Think five sides. Don't think elevens. Think fives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, okay, um, I'll, I'm going to go five side. I'll go with uh, Sylvan Sylvan Distan because the guy was. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can oh. do a lot of scratching already. <laughs> I'm going to go with Jared Beacons. Okay. Jared Beacons was underrated, an intelligent player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a midfielder that can go. I mean, he was what we see today, a midfielder that can go play center back. Yeah. Um, and he read the game really well. Yeah. And he used to piss me off because he they always be right where I am to stop me from scoring. Yeah. So Jared Vikings, I would say. So Schmeichel, Jared Vikings. I'm going to go with um, Ali and Isle. Okay. And I would go with Anelka. Yeah, that's a smooth. That's a very, very smooth team, to be honest. Um, yeah, here's a. Here's, I got there in the end. I got there in the end. You, you did, yeah, you did. To be <laughs> fair, you did. Here's an interesting thing about Gerard Vikins because it's interesting that you mentioned him. So he actually had an effect on my career because when when I was first coming through, like he was kind of on going in the other direction. So we used to play some reserve games and stuff. But one thing which he always used to do, he never looked rushed when we'd get to a stadium and you know to get ready for a game. Never ever looked rushed. Yeah. And he always used to wear a watch and he'd always be looking at his watch, just think, just feeling really calm. Like, I'll do this at this time. No stress. I'm not going to worry before that point. I'm going to do this. And it, for the rest of my career then, I always tried to copy him. I never tried to be somebody who felt like they were really rushed in the dressing room. I didn't have a thousand and one things to do. And I was yeah. always wearing my watch. Even when I got my, put my kit on and stuff, I was always wearing my watch. No one would ever, I would never have to ask anybody how long to warm up, what time we going yeah. out, how long's left. Like, I felt like I was in control and I picked yes. that up from him and he was, yeah, he was definitely that guy. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's all, man. So thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show. And, you know, I, I, I'll say, I love Sergio Aguero, but the cult hero before Sergio was you. And like I said, looking back now, it's made me realize that I love the club at a time when you were that cult hero. So if it wasn't for you and some of those players within that setup, I wouldn't be me today. So thank you for those memories and thank you for being on the show. I'm sure all the City fans loved it and hopefully there's more to come as well. Oh, uh, you dropped your mic. Oh, just like that. Just like that. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Anytime you want me to come on, I'll come on, mate. Thank you very much. And I'll uh, I'll see you tomorrow at Power League. Oh, I'll see you tomorrow at football, yeah? Take it easy. Yeah, exactly. Yes, sir. <laughs> <All right. laughs> see you later, nice man. Thank one. you. Bye. So there you have it, another episode in the books. Thank you yet again for tuning in and also another well-deserved thanks to the main man, Mr. Producer Man, Ryan Hale. Be sure to stay connected on social media and subscribe to the show so you never have to experience the dreaded FOMO. And for those wondering, UD will be back next week too. 
He's just a bit busy this week pretending he has a social life. But anyway, stay tuned as we'll be back real soon. Bye for now.